All right. Confession time, Jordan. I don't know the first thing about investments. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I mean, do you? You ever purchase stocks? Uh, Not once. Yeah, neither did I. How about collect dividends? I I couldn't tell you. Buy low, sell high, that ringing any bells? Uh, I mean, I've heard it in an advert once. All right. How about turnips? Yes. uh, Yes, this one I do know, Joshua. Is that that what this episode is about? That's what this episode is about, yeah. Today, we're talking about turnip mania and Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is maybe the biggest success story in games right now. It's a game for the wildly popular Nintendo Switch, and it arrived in late March 2020, just as the world was entering lockdown. Yeah, I've actually been playing it since the day it came out, and a lot of my friends have as well. It's basically where we hang out because we can't see each other in real life. I actually interviewed a bunch of them in the game for a podcast. Oh, what a good idea. For those who may not know, it's this very sweet game where you go off to a deserted island and very slowly turn it into a vibrant town full of animal friends. But funny story, Jordan, you and your friends and your villagers aren't the only guests on your island. Someone else shows up. Wait, who? Capitalism, my friend. (laughs) Capitalism comes and it brings with it mania over turnips, a market crash, bounces for protection, adorable animal trafficking, all the horrors of the free market. So today, we're going to hear from someone who got caught up in the craze firsthand. Joshua, I just have so much money now. It's just... I don't need any more of it for literally any reason. It gets wild. So wild that the virtual economy of Animal Crossing even began to spill over into the real economy, affecting players both inside and outside the game. So how did the relaxing world of Animal Crossing, a cute, soothing game, blur the line between game world and the real world and become a nightmare? When we get back, how Animal Crossing turned Wolf of Wall Street. Hello, and welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. I'm Joshua Rivera. And I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And we are back again to bring you some of the wildest stories from where culture and technology collide. Like video games that get a little out of hand. Extremely out of hand. But it doesn't start that way. It never does. To explain Animal Crossing to people who may not be familiar, I thought it would be fun to play together. Ready to jump in? Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to come to my island or should I go to yours? Can you come to my island because my flowers need watering? (laughs) Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and use the dodo code you gave me earlier to fly to your island. So in Animal Crossing, your character is a cute little round cartoon human, right? And you have your own island. And now I've landed and there's Jordan. She's wearing a cute little dress, glasses. Looks a lot like how she looks (laughs) now. Yeah, everyone says that. And uh, the dresses are very important to me. My wardrobe is the most important thing in the game. So yeah, in addition to like flowers and outfits and Animal Crossing, everyone has a house that you can continually decorate and improve. You can also catch fish, pick fruit, collect bugs or fossils, and trade with other players. And of course, a big part of the game is doing chores, but with your friends. So, Jordan, speaking of chores with friends, where are the flowers you need watered? So you should be able to see the clearly marked out garden uh, with a sign that I made myself with a picture of a watering can on it. So if you could just water everything that is in soil, please. Wow, Jordan's flowers are all organized along a color spectrum, which is very, very lovely. And there's like little benches there you can sit and admire them. Very well done. Nice botanical garden experience, Jordan. 
Thank you, Joshua. Yeah, that's what Animal Crossing is all about. Relaxation, cuteness, friendship. So now you know the basics of Animal Crossing and why people are so drawn to it. Another reason Animal Crossing is so successful is that it arrived in a perfect storm of circumstance. There is the Nintendo Switch, which is a wildly popular video game console that's appealing to people who maybe weren't drawn to an Xbox or PlayStation. There's the fact that Animal Crossing New Horizons, the latest in the series, arrived seven years after the previous Animal Crossing, New Leaf. Yeah, and I've been waiting every single year. Yeah, there's always been a hardcore, you know, Animal Crossing fan base. Like, people love these games. And then there's also the fact that this game is on a connected console in a time where it's incredibly easy to share what you're up to on social media. Yes, and it's also super approachable. It's not difficult to play. It doesn't try to test you. And it's all about expressing yourself as well. It's about creativity and kind of showing off what you can do, kind of like The Sims. Of all those, the biggest reason Animal Crossing became a phenomenon was the unforeseen timing of the game. Animal Crossing arrived just as people around the world entered self-quarantine in response to the coronavirus pandemic, giving everyone a new shared social space at the same time we lost most of them. Yeah, I mean, it was basically how I was talking to my friends during lockdown Mm -hmm. when I couldn't see them in person. Yeah. It's also helpful and compelling because Animal Crossing gives you concrete things to do. You don't just dream up whatever you want to put on your island. You have to work for it. Your job may be on furlough, but here's adorable, meaningful work. You need money, bells in the Animal Crossing universe, to help build out the island of your dreams. You have a mortgage to pay off, but don't worry, there's no interest or deadline cool clothes and decor to buy, and all sorts of things you can get to just improve the appearance of your island. Of course, to get the money, you have to do kind of chores, like you have to do fishing, catch bugs, things like that, collect fossils like I've been doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on collecting fossils because I want to get a museum full of them. It's great. Once your museum is full, you can sell the spares for lots of bells. I want to be filthy rich in bells. <laughs> <laughs> And it sounds strange if you've never played the game, right? But there's like this this soothing, very accomplished feeling that comes from clearing tasks and working towards, you know, a bigger house or, or a koi pond that you've always wanted. But also, like in the real world, working isn't the fastest way to make money. And that is where the turnips come in. <laughs> in Animal Crossing, the selling of turnips is called the stock market. Get it? Because turnips have stalks, S-T-A-L-K, and that sounds like stocks, S-T-O-C-K, in case anyone needed an explanation. The stalk market is a speculative market. So once a week on Sunday mornings, you buy turnips from a traveling turnip merchant. Uh, You can buy as many as you like. And the price is always between 90 and 110 bells, I think. And then every day of the week following that, you can sell those turnips at the store on your island or on someone else's island at a price that changes twice a day. And then the goal is to turn a profit before the following Sunday, because if you don't sell them, then at that point they rot and they become worthless. And the interesting thing about this, like Jordan said, is that everyone's store has a different price. So even if your island store is buying turnips for pennies on the bell, well, there's a good chance you can make a fortune selling them on someone else's island. You've just got to find out which. So can you see where this is going? Joshua, I have been there, done that, (laughs) got the t-shirt. Yeah, but I wanted to talk to someone who got in deep. Someone who won big. Hi, I'm Zach Reno. I live in Los Angeles. I am an actor and a writer and a host of a podcast called Off Book, the improvised musical, where we improvise a musical. And that's it. 
Zach came to my attention because the stock market caused him to do something unusual on his Animal Crossing island, but we'll get to that. First, I wanted to know what drew him into the game, and it wasn't the high-stakes speculative market. At its core, it's a life simulator, and it was just like a very low-stress game where you sort of walk around and decorate your house and talk to your animal friends, all of which things are very and have always been inside of my brand. The other thing I like about it is that it is a sort of game that is meant to be played over a long period of time because it's on a real-time clock. So the game doesn't pause and wait for you when you go to sleep. It's the opposite of fast-paced, which is kind of intriguing. You know, something adorable is always happening round the clock. So you log in at 3 o'clock p.m., it's 3 o'clock there. You log a clock at 3 o'clock a.m., it's the middle of the night, and there's different stuff going on. And the seasons change, right? So this game will be different a month from now than it is now, which is cool. Yeah, and despite Zach's chill intentions, he quickly threw himself into the stock market once it opened. I jumped in right away, and the first two weeks, I was really aggressive about it. Like, I bought literally, like, I took literally all the money I had, put it in the stock market, and then went on Twitter and, like, typed in turnips and then refreshed over and over again until I found a, found, like, a good island price that I could do it. That was too crazy, and I didn't enjoy that at all. This is the wild part to me. Immediately, there was an ad hoc network of people sharing turnip prices, charting what the patterns were like, coming up with tools for guessing when and where good prices would show up all basically overnight. Yeah, I'm actually in a Discord with a bunch of my friends and other people who are playing the game, and they're all tracking their turnip prices on this kind of spreadsheet that predicts what your prices will be throughout the week. And then there's my sister, who doesn't bother with all that. She just goes straight for this (laughs) site where you can just go to a stranger's island who has the highest price and sell your turnips there. And that kind of makes things kind of cutthroat, you know? Like, people could be dishonest about their turnip prices and chase, like, social media clout. Or you could have people come and steal your turnips, right? Which is why, in some cases, you had bouncers or, like, fences. Which is one thing Zach, as he got more and more wrapped up in the stock market, started to think about. And getting into my controversial turnip room, Joshua, which people said was a turnip jail simply because I had jail bars on the front of it to keep people out of my turnip room. Now, I maintain that bars are used on all sorts of things that are not jails. For example, vaults have bars. This was my turnip vault where the turnips were safe from people. It was not a turnip jail. It might have been a turnip jail, but it was a turnip vault because they filled the they filled the vault, not jail, and I had to put them in the kitchen and also the bedroom because if I leave them outside my house, anyone can pick them up unless I fence them in on my turnip branch, which I also did a little bit. But I know people that just leave those on the beach, but you can't have visitors over because that's like leaving your dollar bills around. Just so we're clear, Jordan. Zach had a turnip vault, not a turnip jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really needed to emphasize that. So Zach, with his turnip vault and a steady supply of clout-chasing social media accounts, eventually worked out a way to make bank on his supply of turnips. Do you think he likes the game better or worse now after all this? Um, I think it might have spoiled it for him a little bit. You know, like a rotten turnip. Listen to how he describes things now. Joshua, I just have so much money now. It's just... I don't need any more of it for literally any reason. Uh, There's like weird scarcity of other things in the game, but there's only so much you can actually physically buy. Like my house isn't getting any bigger. I could buy another house, but I'd have to start a new character to do that. And like, I'm not gonna really do that. He won, Jordan. He won capitalism. (laughs) Congratulations, Zach. But can you really win capitalism? Right. 
the grass is always greener, and that's when things start to take a dark turn in the world of Animal Crossing. Stick around, and we'll tell you a little bit about what makes people go bananas for the stock market, and the dark things that happen when turnip trading just isn't enough anymore. Jordan, I'm curious, how swept up in the stock market craze did you get? Joshua, I am out of the turnip game now, but that is only because I spent several weeks monitoring my network of friends to make sure that I always sold at a high price. Uh, and I made a grand total of 10 million bells to get the achievement. Uh, and then I stopped. Yeah, yeah. I'm asking because Zach isn't an edge case, turnip vault aside. Like you, all of my Animal Crossing playing friends succumb to some form of turnip fever. And if I wasn't otherwise occupied, and if I'm honest, I'm extremely forgetful, I would have also tried my luck at playing the market in order to make a nice stack of bells for myself, which feels kind of crass, right? Or at least against the things we say that we come to Animal Crossing for. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a way to fast track your way through the game. And that is not the point of Animal Crossing. Right. So I wanted to talk to someone who spent a lot of time thinking about how games have this weird tendency to sort of emulate the realities of our economy in a way. Why can't we stop killing our chill island vibes with greed? My name is Eric Peckham, and I'm the media columnist at TechCrunch, where I write about gaming, entertainment, and the future of virtual worlds. So Animal Crossing isn't the only game with currency to spend within the game on stuff you need or want. And according to Eric, that's not just life, that's good game design. Part of successful game design is creating some form of uh, virtual economy within the game, which is basically you know, there being items or currency that can be traded between players and some degree of scarcity where you know you can't just have an infinite amount of everything. And so it forces you to trade with others, to go through all sorts of obstacles or challenges within the game. It kind of guides you through fun experiences. So far, so good. Eric's read of virtual economies is extremely in line with Animal Crossing's very low-stakes motivation for accruing bells. But what about the stock market? That's kind of a game within the game, right? It attracts more people to play it. It gives you more reason to keep coming back every week to participate. It is a great kind of psychological way to keep people engaged throughout the week and making sure they're continuing to stay part of this world. Uh, so from a game design standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And here's a bit of insight that I'd never really thought about before, Jordan. You know how part of the appeal of getting new stuff in Animal Crossing is purely for cosmetic things? Yes, my wardrobe is the most important thing in my game. So Peckham, this isn't all that different than, say, curating the photos on your Instagram feed. If it seems like people care about Animal Crossing more in this moment, it might be because our virtual worlds are starting to blur with the real one. You actually have the majority of a generation who spend meaningful time in virtual worlds that have virtual economies and where they can participate and trade different goods. Just like I might pop on you know, Instagram or Snapchat and chat with people. This is just an online sort of extension of real world interaction and activity. Games, in other words, aren't just things you do. They're places you go. They're parts of yourself you visit and maintain. The big wake up here for a lot of people will be that video games aren't just games anymore. They are, are truly and increasingly extensions of our real world lives, our real world economies, right? Yeah, there are 2.5 billion gamers in the world now. Most people, to some extent, play video games. And games are increasingly kind of being designed as social hangout spots and ways to meet people, spend time with people, just like, you know, has happened with 
social media apps that we think of as fairly normal. Video games are basically the next wave in this kind of social media online socializing space. To me, this means that your Animal Crossing island is just as much an expression of your identity as your Instagram profile. And so, of course, you want to get a leg up on the fortune you'd need to make something reflective of you. The obsessive stock market behavior makes perfect sense when you think of it that way. And just as virtual economies make sense for virtual worlds, Peckham argues that any problems that stem from them are also part and parcel with their inclusion. There are so many unintended consequences that come from video games becoming kind of economies in their own right. I mean, there have been major issues around gambling, especially underage gambling, money laundering. I mean, you're you're inviting all the sorts of problems that come with creating a, a market that's generally not heavily supervised. We're talking, of course, about cheaters. But how do you even cheat in a game like Animal Crossing or even do anything approaching unsavory? Well, I'm no cheater, Joshua, so I couldn't possibly comment on that. <laughs> so one popular way of gaming the system is by something called time traveling, which Zach describes for us in the context of the stock market. The one way to quote-unquote cheat Animal Crossing is called time travel. The game is set to link to the real-time clock of whatever time your Switch is at, right, which is connected to the internet. So what people do is they change the time that their Switch is at, and they move forward in time in Animal Crossing. Yeah, I actually have friends who time travel, but it's just like a step too far for me. But here's another thing. In Animal Crossing, you can keep your bells in a bank account, and that account, like a real-life savings account, accrues interest. And curiously... Like the Federal Reserve Bank, Nintendo lowered this interest rate. The very first month, Nintendo was like, oops, our fake interest bank rate is too high. We need to turn it down, which is just wild if you think about it. It's so, it's so low. And they were like, it's too high. I actually got the letter from the Bank of Nook about the interest rates going down the very same day <laughs> that I got a letter from my real life bank. Uh, this is kind of preposterous and extremely funny that they this closely mimic real-life banks. But it's also one of the few ways of cheating the game that Nintendo can actually curb, Zach thinks. I suppose they could have been worried that people would, like, skip forward month after month after month and be, like, several years in the future and game that interest rate to, like, make a ton of money. But it seems like a lot of work when you could just sell fruit and make about this, <laughs> the same amount. Which brings us to the sort of things Nintendo can't really curb. For players like Zack, who have one big on the stock market and can more or less build whatever kind of island they want, what is left for them to conquer? What can they consume with all that spending power? Turns out, it's villagers. And one guy in particular. <laughs> Everybody loves him. There's one villager who has two different color eyes. He's a new cat named Raymond. And people like ask for a insane amounts of in-game resources to have that particular cat, again, there are over 300 villagers, but this cat, for some reason, everyone loses their mind for. This is actually a huge thing. According to a Polygon article by Patricia Hernandez, the next frontier for hardcore Animal Crossing players isn't just building the ideal village, but in populating them with the ideal villagers. Okay, confession. Um... I was playing Animal Crossing at four o'clock this morning because Raymond was in my campsite and I what? briefly considered that it would be good for my internet brand if I managed to convince him to move <laughs> into my island so that I could show him <laughs> off online and maybe even traffic him to somebody else. So is it trafficking or does it just feel like that? I mean, it definitely felt dirty. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this this whole thing 
is not rare. It's not uncommon for people to do what Jordan has done here or considered doing. Right. Is he, he did, So he ended up leaving. He's not around anymore. Yeah. No, he is not on my island. OK. <laughs> Listeners, do not pester me. Raymond does not live here. According to Hernandez's Polygon article, there are entire sites dedicated to cataloging who has desirable villagers. They're called dreamies. Raymond, as Zach said, is the most in demand with asks in the millions of bells. I've seen people comparing him to like K-pop stars. He's got that kind of uh, floppy fringe. I've And I've got to admit, this is kind of why I was tempted. I don't actually like him. His personality puts me off. But I thought I could turn him around, you know? (laughs) I was mainly for the social media cachet, I've got to say. I just wanted to be big on Twitter for a day. Yeah, you you had a hot commodity and would have been the bell of the ball in Animal Crossing. (laughs) Uh, And this is what's fascinating to me. You could have earned more than just clout or more bells. If you wanted to, using one of these third-party sites, you could have earned cold, hard cash for tipping people off that Raymond was on your island. People want their favorite villagers that badly. Damn, so I lost sleep and money? Yeah, potentially, right? (laughs) If you're ethically okay with selling Raymond off. And according to Peckham, this is a thing that can happen when you have a successful in-game economy that doesn't really let you spend real money. Games that have tried to maintain closed economies. Like you can't sell your virtual goods for real money within the game. It doesn't actually prevent people from doing that. It just moves it offsite. When you start to covet something rare in the game economy that you can't buy with the game's currency, the market blossoms in the real world with real money. And so all these games actually have big gray markets or black markets offsite where people sell accounts on eBay or through other marketplaces. Digital goods do get traded for real money. Did you ever know anyone in high school who maybe like paid someone to level up their character in World of Warcraft? (laughs) Um, Not personally, but uh, I mean, MMOs are like a full-time job and school is hard, so I can kind of believe it. I mean, it happens with MMOs now, right? Like whole groups of people get hired to just level up people's characters for them to like grind. When I was in high school, it was much, it was a much smaller scale operation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but it's totally a whole black market thing now. Absolutely, yeah. And the black market in Animal Crossing is a little more subtle. It doesn't have levels or progress like MMOs do, so most of the transactions happening in Animal Crossing, while sometimes extreme, are more limited to endgame resources and currency. There's no obvious way to spend real money. Until you start to do things like look for specific villagers. One way to bring some villagers into your game, as you might know, Jordan, is via something called Amiibo. Amiibo are like collectible toys produced by Nintendo that use um, near-field communication, I think, to connect with your Switch. And when you connect them with your Switch, you can unlock in-game goodies depending on the game you're playing. An interesting thing to mention here is one of the reasons that Raymond is so popular is because he is new to New Horizons, so there isn't an Amiibo for him. So you can't buy him that way. Right. And this is what Peckham was talking about. It can get really intense, and there's all these opportunities for real money to enter the equation here. These days, Zach doesn't really do any of the stock market speculating anymore. I thought that would be because he's seen the error of his ways. He wants to go back to a sweet fantasy utopia. Because at a certain point, it's just greed, you know? It's just capitalism running unchecked. The least fun I have had playing Animal Crossing was like the first week of doing the stock market and being really worried about getting money. Like looking at Twitter and refreshing the word turnip is actually, surprisingly, not a good time. It is not enjoyable. But the real reason he quit isn't because it was ruining his fun. Sure, the character trading or trafficking still bumped him out and he didn't do it. 
But the thing that made him stop the obsessive Twitter refreshing, evaluating third-party sites and speculating is much less moralistic. He didn't learn a lesson. As he said earlier, he just became a billionaire. Joshua, I just have so much money now. It's just, I don't need any more of it for literally any reason. The stock market did ruin the game for some people who were overwhelmed by the obsession with accruing wealth. They went back to fishing and bug collecting and worried less about winning the market, which sounds kind of like your experience. Yeah, I definitely, and a load of friends of mine as well, once we'd achieved what we wanted to with the stock market, we were so relieved to get out. Yeah, and Zach's experience raises an interesting question for me. In a world where so many of us don't have jobs or wealth and are saddled with debt, many of us don't have disposable income to invest in Wall Street and accrue real wealth. I don't mess with the real world stock market in any way. First of all, I don't, I don't, we would be playing with penny stock. There'd be no point. Like if I was going to play the stock market, I would play the stock market. Like we would be all in. And I just, I'm not, I think my wife and cats would not approve of that sort of fiscal recklessness. So for us non-investor types, maybe Animal Crossing wasn't a capitalist nightmare. It was a capitalist daydream, one that the turnip stock market made more real. But the stock market is just like another little touch that makes the world feel bigger and more real. And like um, for people that don't own a house, it's like a real, it's a simulation of like ownership and uh, being able to decorate a yard and a house and things that we all like, you know, American dream type stuff, but put into a game and made by a Japanese company. So it's not as if people are playing Animal Crossing because they love capitalism so much that they just want more of it in their free time. It's more like capitalism is so big and difficult in the real world that this miniature version of it where we can always win if we just work hard enough, it's like a beautiful fantasy. Right. Video games kind of reflect our culture and nature in ways that aren't always tangible. And all of a sudden they are. As we saw from our very first episode about World of Warcraft's corrupted blood pandemic, games are often little petri dishes of like human behavior. In this case, we see how, you know, money can quickly sort of like change the nature of like even the most idyllic, you know, serene scenarios, right? Once there are stakes, people start to behave unpredictably. I mean, money isn't real either, right? It's basically simulated just like video games are. Yeah, it's all made up just like bells in Animal Crossing. <laughs> And by the way, thanks for being honest about your intense Animal Crossing experience. I know for me, the virtual world of video games, it's very easy to get in over your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did get up at four o'clock in the morning to uh, try and convince Raymond to move to my <laughs> island. What about you, listeners? Ever get carried away by something you need to accomplish in a game? When have you gotten really into a virtual world in a way that affects your real world? Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know in your comment. Like, did you get into really good shape from Ring Fit Adventure? Or accidentally trespass a bunch from playing Pokemon Go? Maybe you're obsessed with Beat Saber like I am and you're trying to get 100% on Expert on all of the songs. Or are you playing Apex Legends like I am? A free game where you still spend money because you're like, oh, that's a cool outfit. Outfits are always worth spending money on. Yeah. Joshua, will you come back to my island tomorrow and water my flowers again? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay you in fruit. <laughs> All right. I will water your plants in exchange for some fruit. Perfect. No bells required. Next time on Wild Wild Tech. Did the computer program break music copyright laws forever? If you subscribe on your favorite podcast app, you'll know the moment the story drops. 
Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production. It's hosted by myself, Joshua Rivera, and Jordan Erica Weber. You can find us at jmrivera02 on Twitter and at jordanweber.com. Our producers are Cody Hoffmachel and Janielle Kastner, with help from Reyes Mendoza and Caroline Hamilton. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Zach Reno for talking to us about his Totally Not a Turnip Jail. Be sure to check out his podcast, Off Book. And to Eric Peckham for blurring the lines between the virtual reality and real reality. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening.